Hello and welcome to Gamer Radio. Today we have a little bit of a special treat. We have Matt, the big kahuna over at Alderaan Games, and he's going to tell us about life of an indie game studio and how maybe y'all could get hired at an indie studio. So, Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. Would this be the part where I add in the Jar Jar jerk? Ah, it's Jar Jar. I haven't done a Jar Jar on here just yet, but he's always ready. Oh, I guess I just did. Crap. Oh, well. Jar Jar's eternal. So can you just tell us a little about yourself and Alderaan? Yeah, so I've uh, been doing games around 10 years now, and uh, it originally started from me playing some games and kind of having issues with games where I feel like, hey, the the game's not really doing something correctly or there's something wrong with the game. I want to make my own game and fix it. So I just started a uh, indie game studio, and nice. uh, we've been making survival games. Nice. So um, what is your most recent release, would you say? So we just released Path of Titans into, I guess it would can be beta slash early access. And it's on kind of PC, mobile, and all the consoles. Okay. And when you say PC, you also support Mac OS and Linux, if I remember. Yes. Yes, definitely. Very cool. I think we'll talk about how exactly you pull that off uh, a bit later. So, all right. So you were looking for greater support in your games. You created a studio. Just for perspective, how big are y'all today? How many titles do you have? Obviously, you have Path of Titans. So we have two main titles. We have Path of Titans, and we also have another game in development called Breaking Point. And we also wrote our own replacement platform to ship games, kind of like Steam. So that's the kind of three big projects we're working on so far. And we're about 30 people a game at the moment. So getting pretty big. Okay, so 30 people per game. So a little bit about Breaking Point. You kind of just threw that in. What kind? It's a survival game, but can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's kind of like a apocalyptic survival game. I originally made a mod for Armor, Armor 2 and Armor 3, and it was born out of that kind of daisy era where there's all these survival games coming out, and it kind of felt like none of them really delivered on kind of the original vision and promises properly. And so we spent a couple of years making a mod, and then we're like, hey, we want to make this a standalone game on Unreal Engine 5. And uh, we've been working on that. Nice. Okay. So you mentioned Unreal. Your games are written in uh, Unreal Engine. Yes. Yeah, Unreal Engine 5 for both games. A lot of C++ assembly printing. It's been a great engine so far. There's always some, some difficulties with any engine. I would say it's probably the least worst engine. Uh, the least be a worst. Yeah. Okay, I know a lot of folks listening are interested in maybe making their own indie games. The obvious competitor to Unreal would be Unity. What would you say the motivation for going Unreal was? So for me, I really liked the kind of the C++ and, and kind of getting really low level. Like with games, you've got to do a lot of kind of optimization work to get your, like if you're doing a 3D game, I would definitely go for Unreal. But if it's like a kind of 2D game, a smaller project, I think Unity is a good fit as well. But I've heard a lot of stories from kind of, you know, Gary Newman, who made Rust and things like that, about kind of different garbage collection problems with uh, Unity and things like that, that we were worried about, where he'd get like this hitching every 60 seconds or something like that when the garbage collector runs. And that was a concerning point for me. Makes sense. Yeah, because your games are larger scale, fully 3D. I mean, I, I've i played the the zombie one, Breaking Point, but I am imagine the... the, the uh, path of titans is you're trying to avoid largely 3d rendered dinosaurs and getting eaten is that yeah so you know you might have a dinosaur it might be like 25 to fifty thousand triangles it's got a lot of textures we have 200 people per server running around on the map 
plus we have AI dinosaurs coming. So there's just a lot of stuff that's like, especially server performance to get that many people on the game at once, you have to do a lot of optimization work. Got it. Okay, so it's fully online. Yeah, so they're all fully times. online. Yeah. Okay. Wow, there's so much here. So I think before I ask the question, I'm dying. You know, I'm going to ask my guilty pleasure question. Sure. So packaging on Linux, huh? You do apps and snaps. <laughs> so it is difficult, right? So yeah. uh, Steam obviously has a lot of great support for Linux, right? And kind of we started making our replacement to Steam, like the Elder and Games platform, before the Epic Games Store existed. Mm. And everyone knows that the Epic Games Store does not run on Linux. Does not have right? And so if you want to publish your game on Linux, you've got Steam or maybe you have like, you know, a Bounty Store or something like that, but you're you're limited, right? And is we use Electron for our launcher and you can run into all sorts of weird problems with dependencies and, you know, linking to Jibs, Glibs, uh, was it Glibc or stuff like yep. that. It's, yep. it's difficult, right? Okay, the launcher is a Electron app. Yeah. But the games themselves, obviously, they must be native. Yeah, the games, games native. It is a case where Ubuntu, like, 2204 will ship an update, and it'll break your game, right? Okay. And you need to figure out, hey, what dependency did I use? What thing did I do that, that breaks the game? And that's a... It very feels like Apple releasing an OS update to break your foliage from rendering. It really feels like that, but the Linux version is, you know, it doesn't kind of run because of some dependency. Yeah, I definitely feel that it happens. But more or less, so both of these games are supported on Linux, and the yep. best way to get them is through the launcher. Yeah. The only way. Okay, so pulling back, right? I think a lot of folks would be interested in getting in the games industry. What are you looking for? Because I, I know just from our private conversations that you've recently hired a, a bunch of folks. What are you looking for? in a candidate, either academically or previous experience, let's say someone kind of junior, right? Sure. So if I'm looking for a junior person, we have a lot of things we do differently from other studios. So we're looking for kind of if they have any previous open source work experience on their GitHub, do they have other games or passion projects they've built? So if let's say they just came out of university and they don't have any games that they've built, that's a huge red flag. Right. And so we're looking for building your own games, even small 2D games. We're looking at open source work. We like to, when we're interviewing people, look at instead of like a whiteboard test where I'm saying, hey, reverse a linked list of linked lists, we're instead looking for potentially trialing them with some contract work to see can they actually do the job that we're after. Right. So a lot of interviews are kind of theoretical where you get a complicated problem that you might actually not be solving on your day job. But in some cases, if people pass, we're looking for, hey, would you do a month of trial work and see if you can actually do your job? And does this work out? Interesting. Okay. Now, is that process the same for, let's say, just the rough categories of designer and developer? Yeah. So generally how we work is, so with programmers especially, you can have a really smart person, but when they start on a new code base and a new project, there's a lot of stuff to get up and running and learning, right? And it may take like a couple of months for them to be super useful. So you're looking at how quickly can they get onboarded? What kind of skills do they have? Where can they provide value even? And um, the, the easier you can answer those questions, the easier it is to get hired. Interesting. Okay. So let's say you hire a new person. Yeah. They do their contracting period, what does the process look like after that? 
Yeah, so we'll give them like a contract. It might be a month of work or, or maybe like two weeks of work. Some contractors can actually do this work with their existing employer. Some people have to leave to better do this work. Once that's completed, we can get you a full-time contract. And it's as simple as you sign in and you show up and you send an invoice every month and you get paid. Okay. And then, so this is a remote job, right? So right. I might have some very hot takes about remote working where the best people, they don't happen to just live near where your studio is, right? They might be in Germany. They might be in France. They might be in another country. So we prioritize remote working. And it's a case on our team now where we have people working on the game 24-7 because when the people in the U.S. go to sleep, the Australians don't work. So it's constantly, constantly moving. Right. We, we should probably mention, where are you guys technically based out of? I know. So we yeah. have a company in Canada and Australia, but in terms of the team members, they're all around the world. So U.S., Germany, France, Spain, like everywhere. So that's a great topic. How do you pull that off, the remote working situation, particularly with uh, maybe mentoring or assisting you know, more inexperienced people? So I'd say at our scale, it's a little bit easier now because let's say you had primarily US, U.S. people. If you need to mentor somebody and they're in Australia, they start work at like 7 p.m., right, For, which is you know their 9 a.m. Or, or something like that. If you don't have some other Australian developers to work with them, that might be really difficult. Like you might have to change your sleep schedule. There's complications. But we're at a point where we have enough people in each time zone where we can set up meetings between those remote workers and other people in that time zone. Interesting. So you're saying it's a matter of just pure you literally have enough people that someone's always going to effectively be in the Slack or the Discord. I should ask, what are, what are you guys, what tools are you using for that? So we use Discord and Slack a lot. We use a lot of GitHub issue tracking, not really for the use of Git, but more so the kind of issue tracker and wiki they have. We use that a lot. Other solutions like Jira and stuff could work, but they can be really complicated and they can scare people away. Makes sense. So, okay. I'm just I'm just trying to think um, process wise here, right? So I'm looking at the the new expansion to Path of Titans because uh, I like the artwork, and I'm thinking of you know I want to try the underwater stuff. How is something like that scheduled out and broken up? Yeah, so what we'll do is we break issues. We break. We have a big task that might be two or three months of work, which is like the aquatic flyer release. And anything that's bigger than a week of work, we will break into a separate task. So we have to break this down into very, very modular tasks. And then that goes on GitHub and we have meetings with people and we look at, hey, what are you most effective at? Some people really like doing dinosaur AI. Some people hate it. Some people don't really like doing a certain thing, but they want to learn it. And that's when we look at someone could mentor them and help teach them kind of the code base. And so we'll eventually sign that into issues and we have a couple of project management uh, people on the project and that will check in with everybody and make sure everyone's kind of getting enough work done and not getting stuck on anything. Interesting. Interesting. Side question. Can I make my dinosaur? Well, are there purple dinosaurs for me? I'm sure you can tint it a little bit purple. However, yes. it's one of those things where people who play dinosaur games, they really care about the realism. Mm. So okay. Like, so so this they will... Is they will like look accurate. up the six bones that they found out of the ground for some dinosaur you made and they'll say hey the beak's wrong right like it's very oh very dedicated Lord. community 
right? It's it's kind of like the mill sim guys where that you know there was a story about a guy from the War Thunder Torrents who linked like a private military document about a tank or something, and they will say, hey, the rivets are off. The rivets are actually supposed to be here, you know, or they're off two millimeters. So that, this is a very dedicated community. That's epic. That is really okay. So that's really cool. So changing gears from Dev, I know um, I've always been mystified myself by the 3d graphics artists right i think they're basically sorcerers i actually thought they only existed in california for a while and like london yep they're all johnny ive that's where i'm going with this (laughs) everything's just white (laughs) it's just white you know you get a lot of straight lines maybe some rounded corners you're gonna sue samsung it's gonna be great i mean obviously path of titans the graphics are great and i should say you guys aren't sponsoring this at all i'm just a nerd and definitely need to download this onto my my mac pro with the big gpu how are you doing that is that is this like a blender situation or what's kind of the tool chain there so we use a lot of kind of 3dx max and Maya. okay um, we we have some people that use blender or they like to use blender because it's free yeah so there's a lot of barrier to entry that's like i don't want to do art because it costs a lot of money you can kind of get in for free so that's not really true so you can create all amazing stuff looking in blender there is a lot of roles where somebody on some games, you can have like the full stack artist, which is kind of like the full stack web developer where they do the modeling, the texturing that the material set up and get it ready in game. Some people will only do one phase where they'll only do the texturing and only do the modeling, for example. So we have a couple of full stack artists on our team so they can kind of work on a dinosaur. It can take like a couple of weeks depending on the complexity and things like that. And uh, yeah, we'll have someone program it in after it gets imported in game. Wow, super neat. So, okay, that's really cool. So, okay, so Maya 3ds Max kind of specializing down really to the point of textures. What made you not write this all in Objective-C? You mean the engine or the whole game or? I'm joking. So for folks who <laughs> never listen to Coder Radio, Objective-C is a old programming language that I'm very fond of, but is uh, definitely in hospice, let's say. Yeah. Uh, all right. So it's hard for me, right? Because I, you know, I've been in the development industry for a long time, and I have had a dalliance in the game industry once, and that was battled web games, right? Like, yeah. Don't call it Flash. I don't know if you're familiar with an old engine called Torque. Yeah, I am very familiar. I used to use yeah. Torque back in the day. It yeah, was back like in the, the garage day, right? games or something. Yep, like that. garage games, and they. And, uh, yeah. I remember when I first started, like this is this is classic mistake with people making games where they're like, I'm gonna make my MMR. Uh, 3d mmo for my first game and yes. everyone in the game industry will sell you no please don't do that you're never going to finish it you're going to want to recode it after you made it please don't do that and i would mess with uh, talk and try to make my own mmo right that's what i would do yeah i was briefly hired to make a game about a monkey throwing feces at british colonial officers well to my credit actually finished for the customer and i was promptly fired because <laughs> turns out apple did not find that at the time a appropriate thing to be doing i was gonna make a joke about that getting banned off steam but yeah that's that's that works yeah yeah it turns out uh so that's it right the, obviously you're on the kind of hardcore extreme and you have to be right because of your the graphic quality i would encourage folks to check out path of titans i'm actually literally gonna buy a license to it today because I got to use this GPU for something. You know, you're all the way over with Unreal. And then yep. I would say Torque 2D, even Torque 3D, 
when that was a thing. And for the love of God, nobody should try to use it now. It's a wreck. I actually looked in on it. It's you want an engine that's maintained. So with games, there's a lot of people that get super excited about making their own engine. Making your own engine is like could be five years of work, and then you could spend five years on the game, right? So you could have a whole decade. And by the time you finish your engine, like Epic sued Apple and your iOS doesn't work anymore, right? Like that's something to be careful about. Yeah, or your whole business model is different. Or frankly, your concept isn't, you know, and actually I'm curious about this. I know the dinosaur thing. There are hardcore dinosaur enthusiasts. I'm actually a weird train guy. Like I will spend ridiculous amounts of money on Lionel trains. Yep. And it sounds like from what you're saying, the dinosaur folks are very much like that, right? Like I think about things like the Pennsylvania Railroad never had those kind of engines. So, you know, that makes no sense. Yeah. So there's a debate with the dinosaur game that's like, because no one knows what a dinosaur sounds like, right? And people say, hey, your dinosaur sounds wrong. And it may be a sound that's mixed in from an emperor penguin or something, right? Where we have no idea what a lot of these dinosaurs sounded like. And we're trying to recreate what they might have looked like and sounded like. And sometimes we've taken a guess where we've tried to do a certain kind of dinosaur and we've just guessed, oh, its tail would be like this. And some of the paleo community will come out and say, well, they'll say, first they'll say, hey, it's completely wrong. And a couple of years later, a new paper will come out and they'll say, well, you actually guessed what the discovery was going to be like years before it came out. And it's just like a miracle that it happened to line up. So how are you getting your like raw data for these dinosaurs so we do a lot of research about hey what bones have they found what's kind of the skeletal structure of these dinosaurs what's known about them and some stuff has to be a guess and some stuff is kind of confirmed you know so we we do a research on that we look at like skeletons and sometimes Uh we sketch out what a dinosaur might look like based on the skeleton and then we kind of go from there okay that makes sense and are you are you going for like quantity of dinosaur or is it because I imagine the process of you know going from we read this research paper and they took photos of these fossils these skeletal fossils to I guess someone's like sketching up a, a basic design for what it might look like to yeah, full so on three D Max yeah that, we that's have of, go ahead. we have dedicated skin artists that mm. just come up with the dinosaur skin. So like, what color is it? What does it look like? What kind of patterns does it has on its body? Sometimes we look at things like different horn combinations where it might have horns in a different spot. So there's various things like that. But in terms of quantity over quality and things like that, we're looking at no one wants all the dinosaurs to be the same, right? So with dinosaurs, there might be like 30 different versions of the T-Rex, all called different names, all very slightly different. So we're trying to aim for dinosaurs that are unique, that'll have a different play style. So like, why would somebody play like a smaller dinosaur like the Campdome versus playing the T-Rex, right? And the classic example is everyone wants to play the T-Rex. The other problem is these dinosaurs were actually from different time periods. So evolutionary, they didn't exist together, right? And we've got options for people where they can kind of edit their server and say, only let these dinosaurs from this time period on. Ah, okay. So you can you can make it, for lack of a better term, historically accurate to the evolution chain. Yeah. So people, it's kind of like a you know Grand Theft Auto role playing community or something like that, where people with game development people give you feedback saying, "Hey, you should make this game, or you should make the game like this." If you ask like a Scarcraft player, 
what do they think of Father Titans? They might say, well, where's the RTS, right? So depending on who you ask, they're going to give different feedback and everyone's going to want a different game. So this is a huge problem where if you listen to a certain group, group of people, they're going to shift your game radically to be something else. And you need to think about as a game developer, what game does the market want? What game do I want to make? What game does my community want to make? And you have to make some sacrifices there. But for us, we add in mod support and we add in kind of different server options where someone can edit our game and turn it into whatever dinosaur game they want, which is the goal. Okay, so is there a mode where it's just like, I don't, I don't even know how you would phrase this, but I, uh, I have a guilty pleasure, which is the Assassin's Creed series. And not so long ago, I was playing Odyssey. I found deep in the settings, there's basically a mode to turn it into your ancient Egypt simulator. Like removing all the Assassin's Creed stuff, right? So, wow, so like, that's really cool. Yeah, no, no people trying to kill you, no guards being mad. You could just like fly around and you know just watch, literally, you know, Siwan town folk run around and like bake bread or whatever. Uh, cool for educational purposes, right? For kids, stuff like that. And yeah, for me. we really like options like that because it yeah. it really makes the game replayable and different elements. Like you have to understand with Path of Titans, we spent like three years making this game. Right, And it's a five to 10 year life service. So it's not about, hey, this is just the game and that's it. We're looking at ways to improve the game and add different options for people that want to do different things. Makes sense. So switching gears hardcore, because I'm always curious, and I know there's like crazy NDAs involved, but keeping it uh, safe. Nintendo Switch, huh? Yeah, we added Nintendo Switch. Like I said, uh, it's a lot. Getting your game on console is a lot of hard work. Right, that's right. what I was going to ask. How, how is that just on a high level? And for folks who don't know why I'm maybe being cagey here, Nintendo is notorious for aggressively NDAing things down. Uh, a good example of this is there is a Unity plugin that does Nintendo Switch. You can't even look at the documentation or the plugin without signing an NDA with Nintendo. Yeah, it's pretty dedicated. Yeah. I, was, I can talk vaguely about the consoles in general. Sure. And... When you listen to a podcast like Coda Radio and Mike here says, hey, I really hate App Store Review and it's really difficult. <laughs> and I like all these game developers, we just laugh, right? We just laugh. You're like, oh, it takes two days for your app to get approved. That That's nice, right? So there's a lot of issues like that that go through. There's obviously things like, depending on the game you want to make, the Switch is very geared towards single-player games. So if you're making a single-player game and you're not going to patch it much, that's one thing. But if you're making a game like Fortnite or a big game where you have to frequently update it, things like that, it can be very difficult to spot the game. And you can imagine that with the game, we need to have every client on the same version. Otherwise, they can't do cross-play. So you can go play the Switch version with someone else on Mac and play together. Right? And if we oh, do really? a patch, yeah. So we have we have kind of cross-purchase and cross-play. So everyone, just like Fortnite, they can play together regardless of if you're on a phone or if you're on a... So someone on iOS could be finding someone on Switch on someone's on Mac, right? And there's a lot of work there kind of maintaining that infrastructure. And if you patch all your other platforms, for example, and you don't patch Switch because maybe it's still being approved, those people can't play together and they get really upset, right? Where their friends on PS4 and they're on Switch. So you're kind of held back by what are the lowest approval processes. So a light version of this would be if you have your game on Android and iOS, if iOS takes a week to approve and Android approves tomorrow, 
you have to wait until the slowest platform to get approval. And that can be infuriating as a developer. That's super interesting. And I'm imagining that there's a bunch of different requirements and little hiccups depending on the platform. So we should say you're on the Switch, you're on the Xbox, you're on the PlayStation Store. I'm sure they're all their own beautiful review snowflake. Yeah. Do you find... And you're also on mobile? Yes, so we're on mobile as well. right? Okay. And I kind of look at the Switch and mobile very similarly because the Switch, if you look at realistically, it's kind of like an underpowered Android tablet, right? And people take this thing and they make amazing things with it, but it's, it's very standardized. So I really think the future of mobile gaming could be so what I think is games like Fortnite and Apex Legends and stuff that are coming out on mobile, they're going after this new trend, which is if we treat mobile like a Nintendo Switch that doesn't have Joy-Cons, there's a whole new target market for it, right? Where kind of mobile's treated like this, you only have five minutes to play it on a train kind of right. thing and not like a gaming console, which there could be a new resurgence in, in that angle. So would that mean more, for lack of a better term, core games on mobile? Yeah, so I'm thinking like phones getting faster and faster every year. Instead of making Candy Crush, you could be making Fortnite, right? Instead of, you know, like this Call of Duty Mobile and all these games on mobile now that it's it almost feels like it's the same game on Switch. You know, in some cases, a lot of these mobile games run faster or look better than Switch. And a lot of people now, I'm surprised with Path of Titans, they connect a controller and to their phone and they play like a, a Nintendo Switch would. Interesting. So, okay. So basically, uh, I forgot the company who makes it, but the, is, is it Razer? Or yeah, there's like a, they have like a pad thing. I think there's a bunch of companies that have a bunch of different devices. Right. But if you look at kind of what the Steam Deck is doing right now and you look at where the Switch is going and where kind of mobile is going, mobile the landscape of mobile is radically shifting and there's maybe i think like 10 games that have figured this out so far and i figured out very early on for path of titans when i said to my team you know hey we want to add path of titans to mobile and my team was like hey is this a modern day april fool's joke you know kind of like diablo model right hmm. and we weren't kidding right we looked at the the mobile and it's very powerful and there's a lot of options available where you don't have to do this microtransaction field, small sure. Candy Crush game. You can make a big 3D open world multiplayer game on your on your phone. It's difficult, but it's possible, just like the Switch is. Right, and the Switch, ironically, I think you kind of you kind of mentioned. Well, not ironically, but sadly, is really not that powerful. Yeah, it's like the amount of work that went into making the game work on Switch. Like it's a lot of work, right? It's like whole teams of people spending six months optimizing the game and getting things down. But yeah, it's, you know, I, I wish they would, you know, switch pro please Nintendo, you know, that'd be amazing. But yeah, yeah, it's, you know, and some of these things is not about the hardware, but about how you use it in the game you want to make. So I can see why they don't update the hardware. But yeah. Well, I can tell you, you have at least one more founders pack, uh, uh, switch sale. Since awesome. I Thanks. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's great. It's uh it's the strangest thing. You know, the Switch is actually my preferred digital gaming device. Yeah. Even though it's the least I am pretty sure my iPhone 14 Pro is faster, right? <laughs> no, it's it, here's the thing, right? So 
I don't I don't remember the the price of Switch Up by Heart, right? But it was like it, I want to guess it was like twenty nineteen. It was like three hundred to four hundred dollars yeah, or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. So if people spend a thousand dollars on a phone, right? And if you look at like an Apple chip and you look at an Android chip, my experience is the Apple chip's been like fifty percent faster at the same price, and that's been crazy, right? With Apple Silicon and all that. So yeah, I'm. It's one of those things where the phones are faster, and some people have the mobile phone version. They have, you know, iPhone 14 Pro Max or whatever it is, and then they go to their 400 Switch, you know, from 2019, and they're like, "Well, this Switch is cool, but my phone can completely destroy this thing in server performance." So I really think that the main difference is Nintendo is treating the Switch like a console, and the mobile app developers, it's this feeling that's like, "Oh, why would I pay?" you know, 30 bucks for a phone game, right? It's that kind of feeling. And I feel like mobile was treated like a console. We, this whole landscape would be very different. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So I have a young son who's six, I mention all the time. I have avoided giving him iPad games. And it's funny, I couldn't really place the reason why, but it's not necessarily just the idea of too much screen time. It's the type of games they are, right? It's the... I mean, you put it great, the microtransaction crap, where I'm comfortable with the Switch. But yeah, if more developers like you guys were, you know, let me just pay you. I think I don't, I think I just paid like 50 bucks for the, whatever it was, the premium. So a premium thing pack. on Switch is if you bought the game on Switch, you can actually download it on PC, Mac, Linux, and iOS and Android. Log in with the same account once you logged in on Switch. Oh, really? Okay, and have well, the game on there as well. Yeah, no, right. that's even better. So, so yeah. here's the thing, right? So, if people go to your your mobile game, like, there's nothing stopping you from doing this, right? If they buy the game in iOS, if you have an account system, just give them it to Android on for free, right? And people are so much more likely to buy the game if they are actually you feel like you're treating them properly. And on Path of Titans, we have a, a kind of fifteen dollar pack on mobile that kind of gets you a lot of the dinosaurs stuff like that. Right. And that is a very high price for mobile, right? So it's not 99 cents. It's like 15 to 30 bucks, right? Sure. And that is kind of treating it like a console game. And another example I would give is there's been these really old PC games, like old Star Wars games that, you know, from like 2004 or five or something like that. They port it to mobile and they charge 20 bucks for it. And it does extremely well as a fully utilized real game rather than, kind of a time you know filling simulator so this would be like i believe square has recently republished a bunch of the like final fantasy 6 and i think did they do eight i think they did eight on ipad and they're they're charging like you're saying a premium price i think it's like 30 bucks yeah so you can do that and that actually works very well right and you can do i think they still well did kotor or something like that kotor one and two on mobile and it's the full game and if you play it on switch it's the same game and uh, that actually can sell. You don't have to do a microtransaction filled nest. You can sell that and people will buy it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I completely agree. And as a, I would say, a uh, recovering mobile developer myself, it would be great. First of all, implementing in-app purchase, as you and I know, can be <laughs> a bit tricky sometimes. From Yeah, especially if Apple's new like in-app purchase thing is Swift only. Yes. And you have a mostly Objective-C game. And if I add Swift, my game doesn't link, right? It doesn't even work, right? Yeah, and that's... there's this thing that kind of feels developer hostile 
where I'll go to the Apple website and I'll look up the documentation and you check the little box that says Objective C and the code's just gone. It's just like they it haven't literally even bothered to add around. in it the vanishes code off the dev site. Like it's just right. Gone. <laughs> and I feel like they have a full time Apple developer that just goes through all the pages, deleting Objective C code. Oh, who's going to use that? Delete, right? And that's kind of why it feels hostile to me as a developer, because Such if bastards. I have to add Swift in, the size of my game doubles. Like you have to link this like a hundred meg Swift library, or whatever it is. Like this is this is not good, right? Yeah, that's. That's truly annoying. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Okay. Like, I like Swift, but here's the thing, right? I would be happy if Unreal Engine added native support for Switch, right? Uh, for Swift, sorry. Yeah. And it could work. But the reason why we like Objective-C is I can use it in line with other C++ code. So the whole of Unreal Engine is in C++. And if we need a call to Objective-C, you can mix it with the same code in the same file. Exactly. So it's it's an extension of, of C, really. And being forced to use Swift in a completely different way of programming just for one console, like I'd rather, or platform, I'd rather not support iOS than be forced to move to Swift. Yeah, there's a whole, whole issue with Swift interoperability with large engines and just large old C++ code bases that even transcends the games industry. Yeah, and games, games are not going to want to swap. I feel like Unreal Engine will be holding onto Objective C before, like after it's already killed, right? And we'll still be using it. Yeah, you're not gonna go anywhere. It's it's the strangest thing to me, but it's a little, it's kind of an advantage, right? Your business model of this just buy the damn game instead of all this. You know, I know you do do some in-app stuff. You have to we, care we have about like that game. less. Yeah, we, we cut the game up. So we have like a seven dollar dinosaur pack where you can buy a bunch of dinosaurs there is stuff like for example we have like a virtual currency in our game and the only reason we wanted we had to use a virtual currency is to do cross-platform between all the consoles and all the platforms so it if we want to do like fortnite where you buy v bucks and you buy a skin they have to have v bucks because the consoles require them to have it to be able to give you the same game you bought on another device Ah. that's the approved workflow so it's not like we would just have a very simple buy the game and you get it but the reason we have to do some of this stuff is because this is mandated so and there's no reason why we can't have a system to let us buy the game directly on things like mobile but yeah these rules and regulations and policies that's the reason why it has to be complicated that makes tons of sense okay so Wrapping up a little bit, what would you say, let's say we have Timmy, because I was playing Magic last night and I got my butt handed to me. And, you know, Timmy is in college. He's, let's say, a junior. He's dying. He, he's heard everything you've said. He's ready to rock, right? He wants to graduate, get a contract with you. What's step one for him? So the first step is while you're in college, uh, you know, university, you should be working on a side project. If you are graduating and you haven't done a side project, it's already too late because someone else at your university, they've been doing a side project and they're going to get hired and you're not going to, right? So that would be to make sure that if you're thinking about going to university, things like that. The next thing to think about, and this is also a very hot take, we don't really value university degrees that much. 
Well, that's right. not hot of a take. I was, yeah, so, I agree with that completely. So yeah. I interviewed someone recently and I asked them, what's the difference between Malik and free? And they didn't know. Right. And this was coming out of like a computer science, you know, C kind of stuff. And they didn't know what Malik and free is. And I said, Hey, I hope that university degree is refundable because I will hire someone without a degree that's done their own game in their spare time over somebody that just got a degree and they've got nothing else to show for it. Right. And with how outdated these uh, university courses are, it doesn't mean uh, your skill set's going to match up with what we're hiring for. And that's the, that's the disappointing thing about it. These courses don't get updated very frequently. Wow. You know? it, it, Sometimes, and there's things, there's program languages like Rust, right? This is what takes on Rust, where they try to solve a problem like doing something unsafe, you know? In a lot of cases, they're just moving the problem somewhere else. And in the game industry, we have various problems where we've got some weird technical issue that's like memory management. And Rust have tried to fix it, but by trying to fix it, they've just shifted the problem. And the problem's still there. It's just one layer removed, right? And that's also pretty frustrating. But in terms of back to hiring, so work on some open source projects. Have some example code you can show us. If you make your own game, right, it's not under NDA and you can use it in your portfolio. A lot of really amazing people, they have nothing to show because all their projects are under NDA and they can't show them. Very familiar with this problem. Yep. Yeah. Did you have any other questions or directions you wanted to go from that? I uh, know. I would say uh, it's funny. You have the Malik free question. I have the, my old question used to be, what is, what happens if you send a message to nil in Objective-C? Because oh, that's a good one. Yeah, well, because it's Objective C is weird, right? It's different than uh, than what someone, let's say, coming out of university learning Java at the time was the big thing might expect. So yeah, I have another question for you, which is, uh, we go into the first interview and say, "Hey, exceptions are really bad. They have all these problems. Can you explain why they're good?" Right? Or we'll say the other approach of like, "Hey, you really need to use exceptions. They're really amazing." You know. And we'll give them the opposite question. Because when you look at a, a tool like exceptions, there are pros and cons. It's not as simple as, hey, this thing's bad, don't use it. Hey, this thing's good, use it. And uh, at a lot of questions we ask is like, hey, why does Unreal Engine suck? Because if you can explain why Unreal Engine sucks, it means you've used it before and you've ran into all sorts of weird problems and issues and you have some opinions on why it's bad. If someone says, oh, I think Unreal Engine's great. There's nothing wrong with it. That's how you know they've never used it before. That is really good. Yeah, I, I like that question a lot. I, my, I One of my other evil ones was, uh, this is deep into the iOS development world, but explain to me why you would use nibs versus just coding up your UI by hand. What's the pros? What's the cons? Yeah, that also that also is a yeah. really good question. Because there's no right answer, right? It, yeah. Yeah. So and there might be an answer of like, hey, should you upgrade your version of macOS and Xcode? No, the answer is right. never. That's a, <laughs> never. That is a, I, so folks, I just, it's yeah. awful. It just breaks. It breaks my tool chain like every other time. I hate it. Sorry. I've been finding this bug with iOS for several days where I updated my build machine macOS version to Monterey or something. And Apple's been rejecting my app every time I upload it. It says, hey, it's not signed with a distribution certificate. But it is there, right? If I build it on my own machine locally, it works. But on the build machine, it just doesn't work. 
And it's even a thing where if I have Xcode uploaded, it works. But if I have the transporter uploaded, it works. But if I use a like Xcode command line to it upload it, it just says, hey, your, your app's not signed properly. And it's the most frustrating thing I've ever done. Yeah, that sounds super familiar to me in every way. Oh, development's fun. All right, Matt. So where can people find you? Where can they find Alderon? Is there anything you want to plug away? Yeah, so alderongames.com. Uh, you're definitely welcome to contact us if you're if you're looking for a job or you want to get into games. And if you want to look at the games we've worked on, you can go to pathotitans.com. Awesome. Well, you can find the show at uh, gamerradio.fireside.fm and join the Discord. Uh, we play lots of games. I think I might try to stream Path of Titans tonight if uh, the Mac OS God's willing, and which is uh, you know always a questionable thing when we update, which I, I have that little red notification right now. I can see it on the settings gear. I'm like, oh, no, it's not going to happen. And uh, tune in next week for another episode. Matt, thank you for coming. Thanks. Catch you later. All right. Talk to you later.